You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Rewinding to November of 2017, we re-release a slightly revised podcast of an episode you might have missed. Episode 18, Facsimile, Finding Authenticity in a Simulated World. If you'd like to hear Ella Fitzgerald's voice crystal clear, you'll record on new Memorex MRX3 cassette tape. It reproduces live sound with such crystal clear fidelity, you'll have to ask, is it Ella or is it MRX3? Is it live or is it Memorex? In a world of simulation, where can we find authenticity? I maintain that we're living in a world that is 98% simulated, really. There's very little authenticity, and by authenticity, I mean, and you looked it up earlier, and it means something like originality? Yes, yeah, something that is not copied. Something that is not copied. Right, so look at the world we live in. Let's take food, for example, to start with food, okay? Okay. To take a typical Red Bull energy drink. Do you know what's in it? I'll tell you what's in it. You have sucrose, glucose, taurine, caffeine, inostal, vitamin B3, niacin, vitamin B6, vitamin B12, dexpanthenol, vitamin B5, citric acid, pantothenic acid, and glucuronoclactone. You're it. <laughs> A lot of shit in that little drink that's supposed to give you a boost of energy. So where's the drink? Where's the authentic boost coming from? It's a cocktail. Almost completely man-made. Totally man-made. There's nothing really natural in it. Mm -hmm. And the, the world of food and the things we ingest is full of what I would call simulated products, simulated foods. Which wouldn't be so bad if it was just a matter of flavor and perhaps a particular taste. But the problem with all that as well is the quality, which is detrimental or not substantive to our health. <laughs> Anything that is less than natural, if you like, it takes away from our natural selves and what we need. Mm. So in this particular case, authenticity is a big deal. Oh yeah, a big deal. And that's why we, we see this back to the land movement of people starting up small farms, growing their own food, patronizing local farmers markets mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, because that's where you're going to find food that hasn't been pesticided to death. Uh, what companies create and put out as foodstuffs. Company says, here's a tomato. And we know that the tomato we're eating today is nothing like the tomato we ate 20 years ago. A tomato that you purchased at the market in 1960, the same tomato today, the equivalency factor is about 25%. In other words, you would have to consume approximately four times the amount to get the same nutritive value yeah. out of that tomato. No wonder people are become gluttons overeating. Empty calories. Mm, empty calories. You have to eat four times whatever to get your fix. You become obese. Obesity is endemic in the West. They're not eating more because they think they're going to get more nutrition. They're just eating more, period. Well, that's true. And are less awake to what they're eating and less awake to why they're eating. So eating itself becomes a simulation of something. It isn't really eating anymore. It's just consuming. Mm -hmm. It's ingesting calories, which is very different from eating, what eating represents. If I eat a hamburger, 
I'm taking a, a cow, so to speak, into my body. I'm transforming a cow into me. And everything that that like. cow has eaten. Everything that cow has eaten and represents as an animal, as a being that had life. Even that cow's food isn't authentic. It's full of hormones. It's full of all kinds of things that used to be gained authentically from right. grass that was clean and unfettered with chemicals and sprays. Yeah, absolutely right. But my point is that even with that, we're not aware that we're eating a cow, actually. <laughs> what you're talking about is a total disconnect. There's a certain percent of the population in America, let's say, not North America, that when asked, where does your hamburger come from? They say, the grocery store, not a cow. Seriously. So this lack of awareness leads to a kind of simulation of eating, not authentic eating. That's a great point, because when you were saying that, I was actually thinking back when I was in elementary school. I remember very distinctly in those days talking about the benefits of milk, which we can now argue, but I remember all the products having animals and figures beside the actual product. There was much more of a connection, even visually, the way food was presented to you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. At least there was some attempt right. at maintaining authenticity. Yep. Yep. And what do we do these days? We grab a bite. <laughs> we eat on the run. Yep. We generally eat too quickly. Mm hmm And we're not aware of what we're eating very much. And if you look at societies who tend to be happier overall and have more balanced, less stressful lives, you'll find, for example, that eating is not a coffee in your hand while you're driving your car, uh, running with your sandwich out the door. It's sitting down at a table with people and actually spending time not only eating slowly, but enjoying one another's company. Yeah. And I will probably say that in third world countries, that still exists to a large extent, even with the invasion of the West and our idea of food pouring in there, third world countries, agrarian economies still tend to go in the direction you're talking about. Community, uh, eating together, using the dinner as a way of keeping family close. Yes. That sort of thing. Now, this is interesting. Have you seen any recent documentaries on, for example, what's happening in the Emirates or in Dubai specifically, where American food companies have kind of taken over McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts or whatever they're called? Yeah. They're... The society is still trying to maintain that family kind of unity. So now instead of being at their table, they're taking the entire family to McDonald's. Right. Or Starbucks. I or mean, Starbucks. I saw, I, saw yeah. Starbucks. I was in Paris recently and there's Starbucks around, the Donald's around, all of these sort of Western influences on Europe. And they're trying to maintain the same thing. But now these families, in the course of a few months or a couple of years, they're all extremely overweight all kinds of diseases are beginning to enter the picture for young children as well as adults, even though they're maintaining the same system that they had originally, mm -hmm. but now they're no longer eating authentic food. Look at the world of music, of art, where there are so many derivative performers yes. singing, sounding very much like Another performer from 20 years ago or 10 years ago, mm -hmm. bands that copy other bands, bands that are ripoff bands of old classic bands like Pink Floyd or the Beatles. I guess we were lucky because we heard the originals. Exactly. So where is there anything new and original in the world 
to be had these days. It's not that easy to maintain authenticity. It, it requires a lot of work because the situation and the environment that we're in is not conducive to that unless you make a personal choice and a decision to take certain things on. The, the rest of the society around you is not going to make it particularly easy because we're not all geared that way. Right. But when you think about how someone is different at work compared to home, I ask you, the listener, where are you authentic in your everyday? At home, you're one way. You go to the workplace, you transform yourself to fit right. that environment. So and where's the real Peter Noche? Is the real Peter Noche the one at home with his wife? Or is it the one at work? Is it the one playing soccer with his son? Which is the real Peter That's Noche? a great question, Harry. I try to be consistent, but I know that I'm not. But I can mm -hmm. say I am most authentic with the elderly and with children. Okay. I don't know if it's just that I'm still either an old soul or a kid at heart. I don't know if that's the reason, but I've always felt that way. So what are you like when you're authentic with these kids and adults? I basically respond to the situation at present. I don't try to anticipate things the way I do among adults or my peers sometimes because I know that perhaps some of what I think or do will not be accepted. Right. So rather than create a kerfuffle of sorts, I either keep to myself or it comes out in another way, not always the right way. <laughs> I just find I'm much more honest in general with right. small children than the elderly. So one trick then, in a way, is to put oneself in the presence of people who are more authentic. Children are more authentic than adults. Oh, I believe general. that. I believe that. And I also believe that that's what makes people feel more connected. I think a lot of the times we're lost in information. We're being bombarded with things when really the essence of things is finding that kind of peaceful center. And the peaceful center really comes from you being able to express yourself and be who you are. If you even know who that is, I think that's big challenge today is I think people have a more difficult time mm -hmm. finding that. Yeah, it's about self-perception. I think I do. Yeah. what you're saying is who I think I am is what I present to the world. Yes. And if I'm deluded about who I think I am, then I'm living a simulated life. I'm not living an authentic life. I'm mm -hmm. living in a life that is perceived incorrectly. And think about it in real terms. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you've ever been in a social situation or you've said something and you've, you've kind of regretted saying it because that's not really what you wanted to say or that's not really what you felt. Right. You just felt you were kind of being accommodating or you were being careful, which is right. nothing wrong with being careful because you don't want to hurt someone. But then what ends up happening is that one thing sets up an entire line of things which resonates in the social circle that you're in, and then becomes kind of a mini disaster in the making because then everyone else begins to do the same. Right. Uh, so it compounds. Mm -hmm. And then everybody kind of feels this level of unease or dissatisfaction. And yet when you just say something honest, people go, oh, yeah, I get that then, and you go on. Yeah. Well, children are naturally right. spontaneous and, and real. older and people have been through it. They've been through it. They don't need the bullshit anymore. They can speak their truth. And be honest, say what they think. Because, right. well, for the most part. I mean, yeah, for I'm not saying part. we don't know for sure 100%, but it seems that way. Right. So the question I ask myself is, why do I feel so liked in these two situations? And why am I questioning myself in situations that are not like that? Right. And the answer that comes back to me is, this felt natural. It felt normal. And so I didn't have to ponder too much 
mm-hmm. about what I should have said or didn't say. Because those people kind of drew that out of you or gave you right. permission to be like them. But I think part of it, though, is also because I think it's in me. I don't think it's something sure. you can just fabricate. Like, I've always loved kids, yeah. and I've always loved the elderly. I've always been drawn to that. <laughs> and maybe that's also what's helped me with my thinking in some things. It's cost me in some ways because you do buck the system a little bit. How does it cost you? Oh, I think it's cost me financially for sure. How so? In the process of me trying to be IE authentic. Let's, yeah, let's take yeah. a corporate situation. We're on the ground. Okay. So if I'm in my late twenties, whatever, and I'm working in a company and all I have to do in that particular situation, things are going well. And I just take up a little bit of golf, play along with, even though I have no interest because at that point in my life, I'd much rather be running in the field and, and playing a game of golf. But that was an integral part of the group that was going to kind of, uh, boost you to another level. So if you, you've made right, a friend, you right. know, if your boss and his friend, you know, was playing golf, you could play golf and, you know, chum with the boys, exactly. you know, especially if you had the skills and the ability, which for the most part I had, but I just, I don't think I was smart about it at all. I just chose not to go there. And in retrospect, things changed completely because so it cost you, they cost you. Well, it cost me from a perspective of what we know as cost. Yeah. So I lost tangibly. I don't know that I lost the other way. Right. So what I hear you saying is that you opted out of the consensual reality that is the corporate world in that situation. Right? Yes. Where you play along with the politics of the work environment, right? No, I may have not have done it with intent. I no, did not no. realize at the time. I'm not saying that I was all calculating that I figured it all out. I just responded a certain way. Well, but that's what the authentic self is. It's a self that responds in the moment, it doesn't calculate. The authentic self doesn't calculate. It responds to the world in the way that it feels in its deepest heart. Okay. If you're how it should right. Respond. So if you're talking to me about it on the way I felt, the answer would be yes. The question I would then ask is where did those feelings come from? Where do they come from? Did they come from abuse? Did they come from where was that authentic self? How did that authentic self get created? What made me feel so strongly about things? What what, you, sorry, what do you mean by abuse? Well, for example, if you're in an abusive situation, you learn defense mechanism, you learn survival tactics. Okay. So you begin to do things and you do them enough. After a while, you begin to think that's who you are because this is what you're habituated to. The right. question is, is it really, or is it simply a defense similar to a war veteran who shell-shocked and begins to believe that that's the way the world runs. Okay. Okay. So now looking back, I realize that a lot of that was who I am even today. But the question always remains is that authentic self, was it there from the beginning? Did it evolve? Were my life experiences altering my authentic self? Was I wanting to get something back that made me feel good? The joy that I felt? Well, the answer to me, the answer is obvious. The authentic self is always there because there isn't anything other than the authentic self. We are not multiple selves. We are one self. Mm -hmm. So with maybe parts of of that self are sort of semi-asleep and parts of it are awake. Mm -hmm. The authentic self is the part that is kind of awake or wakes up in a situation Mm -hmm. like you and the golf and et cetera, and says, no, I'm not going to go there because my inner core says, no, this is toxic or this is not me. I'm going elsewhere. And I think it's always there, frankly, and that we're just mostly asleep up until those moments when we wake up, 
we go, this is artificial. This is not real. This is not who I am. And it's poison to my system. So I'm going to back away from this. I've always fared best when I responded to my instincts and to the way I felt rather than when I tried to calculate my way through things or anticipate things. Right. You're not sort of calculating. No, it's kind of putting a limit on myself so that I don't have the ability to opt out when you come back in. But at that particular moment, you need to opt out in order mm -hmm. to continue. Yeah. So sure. I, I did a lot of opting out. And what I'm saying is that a lot of the opting out isn't always necessarily good for you or in your best interest, but that's what you do at the time. Yeah. So if we all did what you did in that moment, opted out of something you felt your authentic self couldn't go to, couldn't handle, right. what would society be like? I don't know, because <laughs> I don't know that what I did would necessarily have a positive result for other people or society at large, because it's only now that I can do it with a certain amount of clarity. Wasn't there a movie called Liar Liar with Jim Carrey? Oh, where yes. suddenly he's struck with some sort of condition where he can only tell the truth. No. He cannot lie. And it takes him through the movie and his honesty gets him into a lot of hot water. And stuff. Oh, yeah. So oh, I can yeah. just see if honesty and truth and authenticity were the norm, we might have authenticity wars. My gut tells me that if everybody could be honest. That's assuming that everybody's reasonably healthy and knows what that even is because it's so complicated in terms of how we live our lives and what we go through. But let's make the assumption for the sake of this discussion that you're a reasonably balanced individual. Well, I don't know about you, but I find life much easier when I don't have to lie. Not that I have to lie, when I choose to lie. No one has to lie. We think we do. Yeah. And maybe sometimes we do for whatever reason, We're protecting something or we're afraid to lose something, but I find life infinitely more joyful when I don't lie. Amen, I say to that. But it is not an easy road, my friend. That's a great ending. I think we got it. Did I just say that? <laughs> yes, you did. It sounded like Clint Eastwood or somewhere. It's not an easy road, my friend. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production, available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.